Chapter Twelve of Jeremy and Hamlet by Hugh Walpole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twelve: A Fine Day. One. It was a fine day. Jeremy, waking and turning over in his bed, could see beyond and above Stokesley's slumbering form a thin strip of pale blue sky gleaming like a sudden revelation of water behind folds of amber mist it would be a real thumping autumn day and he was to play half for the first fifteen against the rest that afternoon he also had three hundred lines to do for the french master that he had not even begun and it must be handed up completed at exactly eleven thirty that same morning he had also every chance of swapping a silver frame containing a photograph of his aunt amy with phipps minor for a silver pencil and he was to have half phrasley's sausage for breakfast that morning in return for mathematical favors done for him on the preceding day as he thought of all these various things he rolled round like a kitten in his bed curling up as it was his pleasantest habit into a ball so that his toes nearly met his forehead and he was one exquisite lump of warmth rending through this came the harsh sound of the first bell murmurs from other rooms patterings down the passage and then suddenly both stokesley and rakes sitting up in bed simultaneously yawning and looking like bewildered owls in precisely five minutes the three boys were washed dressed and down herding like the rest in the long cold classroom waiting for call-over when they had answered their names they slipped across the misty playground into chapel and sat there like all their companions in a confused state of half-sleep half-wakefulness responding as it were in a dream screaming out the hymn and then all shuffling off to breakfast again like shadows in a japanese pageant it was not in fact until the first five minutes at breakfast when Raisley strongly resisted the appeal for half his sausage, that Jeremy woke to the full labors of the day. Raisley was sitting almost opposite to him, and he had a very nice sausage, large and fat and properly cracked in the middle. Jeremy's sausage was a very small one, so that whereas on other days he might have passed over the whole episode, being of a very generous nature, today he was compelled to insist on his rights. I didn't protested raisley i said you could have half a sausage if you did the sums and you only did two and a half i did them all said jeremy stoutly it wasn't my fault that that beastly fraction one was wrong i only said i'd do em i never said i'd do em right well you can jolly well come and fetch it said raisley pursuing in the circumstances the wisest plan which was to eat his sausage as fast as he could all right said jeremy indifferently you know what you'll get afterwards if you don't do what you said and this was bold of jeremy because he was smaller than raisley but he was learning already whom he might threaten and whom he might not and he knew that raisley was as terrified of physical pain as aunt amy was of a cow in a field with very bad grace raisley pushed the smaller half of the sausage across and jeremy felt that his day was well begun he did not know why, but he was sure that this would be a splendid day. There were days when you feel that you are under a special care of the gods, and that they are arranging everything for you, background, incident, crisis, and sleep at the end in a most delightful, generous fashion. Nothing would go wrong today. 
on the whole human beings are divided into the two classes of those who realize when they may step out and challenge life and those to whom one occasion is very much the same as another jeremy even when he was eight years old and had sat in his sister helen's chair on his birthday morning had always realized when to step out he was going to step out now the insufferable baltimore who was a wonderful cricketer and therefore rose to great glories in the summer term but was no footballer at all and equally therefore was less than the dust in the autumn came with his watery eyes and froggy complexion to ask jeremy to lend him tuppence jeremy had at that moment threepence but there were a number of things that he intended to do with it because he detested baltimore he lent him his tuppence with the air of queen elizabeth accepting sir walter raleigh's cloak and got exquisite pleasure from doing so all these little things therefore combined to put him in the best of spirits when at half-past eleven monsieur clemenceau not then a name known the wide world over requested m cole to be kind enough to allow him to peruse the three hundred lines which should have been done several days before so admirably provided by him jeremy wore the cloak of innocence sitting in the back row of the french class with several of his dearest friends and all the class ready to support him in any direction that he might follow i beg your pardon sir jeremy said did you say three hundred lines that is the exact amount said m clemenceau that i require from you immediately i beg your pardon said jeremy politely i need not repeat said m clemenceau three hundred lines by you at once for impertinence three days previous why sir surely said jeremy you told me that i need not do them this term because no because interrupted m clemenceau at the top of a rather squeaky voice there is no because but sir began jeremy and from all sides of the class there broke out why certainly sir don't you remember and cole is quite right sir you said and i think you've forgotten sir that and it really wouldn't be fair sir if a babble arose as the boys very well knew m clemenceau had a horror of too much noise because thompson was holding a class in the next room and on two occasions that very term had sent a boy in to request that if it were possible m clemenceau might conduct his work a little more softly and this had been agony for m clemenceau's proud french spirit i will have silence he shrieked this is no one's business but mine and the young cole let no one speak until i tell them to do so now cole where are the three hundred lines there was a complete and absolute silence will you speak or will you not speak m clemenceau cried do you mean me sir asked jeremy very innocently of course i mean you you said sir no one was to speak until you told them to well i tell you now jeremy looked very injured i didn't understand he said if i could explain to you quietly well you shall explain afterwards said m clemenceau and jeremy knew that he was saved because he could deal adieu with m clemenceau by appealing to his french heart his sense of honour and a number of other things and might even with good fortune extract an invitation to tea when m clemenceau in his very cosy room had a large supply of muffins and played on the flute 
yes he thought to himself as they pursued up and down the classroom sometimes ten at a time and sometimes only three or four the intricacies of that french grammar that has to do with the pen of my aunt and the cat of my sister-in-law and this is going to be a splendid day two coming out of school at half-past twelve he found to his exquisite delight that there was a letter for him he was of course far from that grown-up attitude of terror and misgiving at the sight of the daily post not for him yet were bills and unwelcome reminiscence broken promises and half-veiled threats he received from his mother one letter a week from his father perhaps three a term and from his sister mary an occasional confused scribbling that like her stories introduced so many characters one after another that the most you obtained from them was a sense of life and of people passing and of mary's warm and emotional heart once and again he had a letter from uncle samuel and these were the real glories it was natural that on this day of days there should be such a letter the very sight of his uncle's handwriting a thin spidery one that was in some mysterious way charged with beauty and colour cockled his heart and made him warm all over he sat in a corner of the playground where he was least likely to be disturbed and read it it was as follows it began abruptly as did all uncle samuel's letters your mother has just taken your aunt amy to drymouth on a shopping expedition the house is so quiet you wouldn't know it i am painting a very nice picture of two cows in a blue field the cows are red if you were here i would put you into the picture as a dog asleep under a tree because you aren't here i have to take that wretched animal of yours and use him instead he is not nearly as like a dog as you are i had two sausages for breakfast because your aunt amy is going to be away for two whole days i generally have only one sausage and now just about five o'clock this evening i shall have indigestion which will be one more thing i shall owe your aunt amy the woman came in yesterday and washed the floor of the studio it looks beastly but i shall soon make it dirty again and if only you were here it would get dirty quicker there's a rumor that your uncle percy is coming back to stay with us again i am training your dog to bite the sort of trousers that your uncle percy wears i have a pair very like his and i draw them across the floor very slowly and make noises to your dog like a cat the plan is very successful but to-morrow there won't be any trousers and i shall have to think of something else mrs sampson asked your mother whether she thought that i would like to paint a portrait of her little girl i asked your mother how much money mrs sampson would give me for doing so and your mother asked mrs sampson mrs sampson said that if she liked it when it was done she'd hang it up in her drawing-room where everybody could see and that that would be such a good advertisement for me that there wouldn't need to be any payment so i told your mother to tell mrs sampson that i was so busy sweeping a crossing just now that i was afraid i wouldn't have time to paint her daughter when i have done these cows if they turn out really well perhaps i'll send the best of them to mrs sampson and tell her that that's the best portrait of her daughter i was capable of doing some people in paris like my pictures very much and two of them have been hanging in an exhibition and people have to pay to go in and see them 
i sold one of them for fifty pounds and therefore i enclose a little bit of paper which if you take it to the right person will help you buy enough sweets to make yourself sick for a whole week don't tell your mother i've done this your sister mary is breaking out into spots she has five on her forehead i think it's because she sucks her pencil so hard your sister barbara tumbled all the way down the stairs yesterday but didn't seem to mind she is the best of the family and shortly i intend to invite her into the studio and let her lick my paint-box outside my window at this moment there is an apple tree and the hills are red the same color as the apples someone is burning leaves and the smoke turns red as it gets high enough and then comes white again when it gets near the moon which is a new one and exactly like one of your aunt amy's eyelashes i am getting so fat that i think of living in a barrel as a very famous man about whom i'll tell you one day used to do i think i'll have a barrel with a lid on the top of it so that when people come into the studio whom i don't want to see i shall just shut the lid and they won't know i'm there i think i'll have the barrel painted bright blue your dog thinks there's a rat just behind my bookcase he lies there for hours at a time purring like a kettle there may be a rat but knowing life as well as i do there never is a rat where you most expect one that's one of the things your father hasn't learnt yet he is writing his sermon in his study if he knew there weren't any rats he wouldn't write so many sermons i've been reading a very funny book by a man called france and the funny thing is that he's also a frenchman isn't that a funny thing you shall read it one day when you're older and then you'll understand your uncle samuel better than you do now well good-bye i hope you're enjoying yourself and haven't entirely forgotten your uncle p s i promise you that the lid shall never be on the barrel when you're there and if you don't get too fat there's room for two inside he read the letter through three times before finishing with it then sitting forward on the old wooden bench scarred with a thousand pen-knives he went over the delicious details of it how exactly uncle samuel realized the things he would want to know no one else in the family wrote about anything that was exciting or intriguing uncle samuel managed in some way to make you see things the studio the sky with the little moon the red apples hamlet flat on the floor his head rigid his eyes fixed aunt amy shopping in drymouth barbara tumbling downstairs that whole world came towards him and filled the playground and blotted out the school so that for a moment school life was unreal shadowy and did not matter he sighed with happy contentment young though he was he realized that great truth that one person in the world is quite enough one human being who understands your strange mixture equalizes five million who think you are simply black white or purple all you want is to be reassured about your own suspicions of yourself a devoted dog is almost enough and one friend ample jeremy went in to dinner with his head in the air trailing after him like peter pan one shadow of the world immediately around him the world in which the school sergeant was carving the mutton at the end of the table so ferociously that it might have been the corpse of his dearest enemy and the masters at the high table were getting fried potatoes and the boys only boiled and jeremy was not having even those because he got to play football in an hour's time 
and the other world where there was aunt amy's eyelash high in the air and the cathedral bells ringing and uncle samuel's painting cows jeremy would have liked to consider the strange way in which these two worlds refused to mingle to have developed the idea of uncle samuel carving the mutton instead of the sergeant and the sergeant watching the evening sky instead of uncle samuel and why it was that these two things were so impossible his attention was occupied by the fact that plummy smith who was a fat boy was sitting in his wrong place and making a squash on jeremy's side of the table which led quite naturally to the game of trying to squeeze plummy from both ends of the table into a purple mass and to do it without thompson noticing little pathetic squeals came from plummy who loved his food and saw his mutton mysteriously whisk away on to some other plate and knew that he would be hungry all the afternoon in consequence he was one of those boys who had on the first day of his arrival a year earlier unfortunately confided to those whom he thought his friends that he lived with two aunts maria and alice his fate was sealed from the moment of that unfortunate confidence he did not know it and he had been in puzzled bewilderment ever since as to why the way of life was made so hard for him he meant no one any harm and could not understand why the lower half of his person should be a constant receptacle for pins of the sharpest kind the point in this matter about jeremy was that as with miss jones years before he could not resist pleasant fun at the expense of the foolish he had enough of the wild animal in him to enjoy sticking pins into plummy to enjoy squeezing the breath out of his fat body to enjoy seeing him without any mutton and yet had it been really brought home to him that plummy was a miserable boy sick for his aunts dazed and puzzled spending his days in an orgy of ink impositions and physical pain he would have been horrified that himself could be such a cad he was not a cad it was a fine day he was in splendid health and spirits he had a letter from uncle samuel and so he stuck pins into plummy when the meal was over he walked down to the football ground with riley and told him about uncle samuel he told riley everything and riley told him everything he never considered riley as an individual human being but rather as part of himself so that if he were kicked in the leg it must hurt riley too and there was something in riley's funny freckled forehead his large mouth and his funny clumsy ways of walking as though he were a baby elephant that was as necessary to jeremy and his daily life as putting on his clothes and going to sleep he showed riley the piece of paper that uncle samuel had sent to him by gosh said riley that's a pound it's an awful pity said jeremy that you are not in little dorm perhaps you could come in to-night i'm sure stokesley and pug wouldn't mind we're going to have sardines and marmalade and doughnuts if i get a chance i will said riley but i don't want to be caught out just now because i've been in two rows already this week perhaps you could keep two sardines for me and i'll have them at breakfast to-morrow all right i'll try said jeremy he looked about and sniffed the air it was an ideal day for football it was cold and not too cold the hills above the football field were veiled in mist the ground was soft but not too soft it ought to be a good game do you feel all right 
asked Riley. They proceeded in the accustomed manner to test this. Jeremy hurled himself at Riley, caught him round the middle, tried to twine his legs around Riley's, and they both fell to the ground. They rolled there like two puppies. Jeremy exerted all his strength to bring off what he had never yet succeeded in doing, namely to turn Riley over and pin his elbows to the ground. Riley wriggled like a fish. Jeremy was very strong today and managed to get one elbow down and was in a very good way towards the other when they heard an awful voice above them. And what may this be? They scrambled to their feet flushed and breathless, and there was old Thompson staring at them very gravely, in that way that he had, so that you could not tell whether he were displeased or no. "'We were only wrestling, sir,' said Jeremy, panting. "'Excellent thing for your clothes,' said Thompson. "'What do you suppose the gym is for?' Well, "'It was only a minute, sir,' said Riley. "'Cole wanted to see whether he was all right.' "'And he is?' asked Thompson." Jeremy perceived that Olympus was smiling. "'I'm a little out of breath,' he said, "'but of course it's just after dinner. The ground isn't muddy yet.' "'You'd better wait until you're in football things,' Thompson said. "'Then you can roll about as much as you like.' He walked away, rolling a little as he went. The two boys looked after him and suddenly adored him. Their feelings about him were always undergoing lightning changes. At one moment they adored, at another they detested, at another they admired from a distance, and at another they wondered. "'Wasn't that decent of him?' said Riley. "'That's because he's just had his dinner,' said Jeremy. "'It's his glass of beer. My uncle's just the same.' "'Oh, you and your uncle,' said Riley. "'I'll race you to the end of the playground.' They ran like hares, and Jeremy led by a second. 3. He was in the changing room when suddenly the atmosphere of the coming game was close upon him. He had that strange mixture of fear and excitement, terror and pleasure. He suddenly felt cold in his jersey and shorts and shivered a little. At the other end of the room was Turnbull, one of the three-quarters playing for the rest, a large bony boy with projecting knees. The mere thought that he would have in all probability to collar Turnbull and bring him to the ground made Jeremy feel sick. His confidence suddenly deserted him. He knew that he was going to play badly, worse than ever in his life before. He wished that he could suddenly develop scarlet fever and be carried off to the infirmary. He even searched his bare legs for spots. He had rather a headache, and his throat felt queer, and he was not at all sure that he could see straight. One of those silly fools who always comes and talks to you at the wrong moment sniggered and said he felt awfully fit. It was all right for him. He was one of the forwards playing for the rest. It would be perfectly easy for him to hide himself in the scrum and pretend to be pushing when he was not. No one ever noticed. But the isolation of a half was an awful thing to consider, and that desperate moment when you had to go down to the ball with at least five hundred enormous boots all coming at your head at the same moment was horrible to contemplate. Millet, the scrum half, playing for the rest, and Jeremy's bitterest rival for the place in the fifteen, was looking supremely self-confident and assured. Certainly he was not as good as Jeremy on Jeremy's day, but was this Jeremy's day? No, most certainly it was not. 
they went out to the field and everything was not improved by the fact that a large crowd was gathered behind the ropes to watch them this was an important game the big school match was a fortnight from today and millet might get his colors on today's game quite easily and then suddenly the feel of the turf under his feet the long sweeping distance of the good gray sky above his head the tang of autumn in the air brought him confidence again he was not aware that a lady visitor who had come out with mr thompson to watch the game was saying at that moment why what a tiny boy you don't mean to say mr thompson that he's going to play with all those big fellows and thompson said he's the most promising footballer we have in the school the half-back has to be small you know oh i do hope he won't get hurt said the lady visitor won't do him any harm if he is said mr thompson the whistle went and the game began almost at once jeremy was in trouble within the first minute the school fifteen were lining out in their own half of the field and a moment later some of the rest forwards had broken through dribbled tried to pass thrown forward and there was a scrum within jeremy's twenty-five this is the kind of thing to make you show your mettle to be attacked before you have found your atmosphere realized the conditions of the day got your feel of yourself as part of the picture gained your first win to have to fight for your team's life with your own goal looming like the gallows just behind you and to know that the loss of three or five points in the first few minutes of the game is very often a decisive factor in the issue of the battle all these tests anybody's greatness jeremy in that first five minutes was anything but great he had a consciousness of his own miserable inadequacy a state not common to him at all he seemed to be one large cranium spread out balloon-wise for the onrush of his enemies as he darted about at the back of the scrum waiting for the ball to be thrown in he felt as though he could not go down to it and then of course the worst possible thing happened the rest forwards broke through the scrum he tried to fling himself on the ball and missed it and there they were sliding away past him making straight for the goal line fortunately the man with the ball was flung to touch just in time and there was a breathing space jeremy nevertheless was tingling with his mistake as acutely as though a try had been scored he knew what they were saying on the other side of the rope he knew that baltimore for instance was winkling his bleary eyes with pleasure that all the friends of his rival half were saying in chorus well young cole's no good i always said so and that riley was glaring fiercely about him and challenging anyone to say a word he knew all this and unfortunately for more than a minute had time to think of it because one of the cool three-quarters got away with the ball and then kicked it to touch and there was a line out and a good deal of scrambling before the inevitable scrum this time it was for him to throw in the ball crying in his funny voice now hoarse now squeaky coming on the right school shove they did shove and carried it on with them and then the rest half got it threw it to one of his three quarters who started racing down the field with only jeremy in his way before he got to the back it was that very creature with the bony knees whom jeremy had watched in the changing-room the legs wobbled towards him as though with a life of their own he ran across threw himself at the knees and missed them 
he went sprawling onto the ground was conscious that he had banged his nose that someone near him was calling out butters and that his career as a football half was finally and forever concluded after that he could do nothing right the ball seemed devilishly to slip away from him whenever he approached it he was filled with a demon of anger but that did not serve him he again went now here now there and always he seemed to be doing the wrong thing for once that strange sure knowledge innate in him part of his blood and his bones of the right inevitable thing to do had left him and he could only act on impulse and hope that it would turn out well which it never did the captain who was a forward pausing beside him for a moment said go on cole you can play better than that he knew that his worst forebodings were fulfilled then just before the whistle went for half time just when he was at his busiest he had a curious distinct picture of uncle samuel the red apple tree and hamlet lying on the floor of the studio waiting for his rat people talk about concentration and its importance and nobody who has ever played a game well but will agree that to let your mind wander at a very critical moment is fatal but this was not so much the actual wandering of a mind as of a curious insistence from without of this other picture that went with the scene in which he was figuring it was like the pouring of cold clear water upon his hot and muddled brain it was as though uncle samuel in his thick good-natured voice had said to him now look here i know nothing about this silly game that you're trying to play but i'm here to see you through it and the two of us together it's impossible to beat the whistle went before he had time to realize the effects of this little intrusion he stood about during the interval talking to no one wishing he were dead but armoured in a cold resolve after all he would not write to uncle samuel and tell him that he had been left out of the school fifteen because he had not played well enough no one as yet had scored the teams seemed to be very evenly matched which was a bad thing for the school everyone in the school team was depressed and the men in the rest were equally elated if the whole truth were known the play in the first half had been very ragged indeed but as mr thompson explained to the lady visitor you mustn't expect anything else early in the term she made the fatuous remark that after all they were such little boys which made mr thompson reply with more heat than true politeness required that his boys even though they were all under fourteen could on their day show as good a game as any public school to which the lady visitor replied that she was sure that they could she thought they played wonderfully for such little boys the whistle sounded and the game tumbled about up and down in and out jeremy knew now that all was well his game sense had suddenly come back to him and the ball seemed to know its master to tumble to him just when he wanted it to stick in his hands when he touched it and even to smile at him when it was quite a long way away as though it were saying to him i'm yours now and you can do what you like with me he brought off a neat piece of collaring then a little later passed the ball back to his three-quarters who got for the first time that day a clear run leading to a try in the far corner of the field 
then there came a moment when all the rest forwards were dribbling the ball the school forwards at their heels but not fast enough to stop their opponents and he was down on the ball had it packed tight under his arm lying flat upon it and the whole world of boots legs knees and bodies seemed to charge over him a queer sensation that was everything falling upon him as though the ceiling of the world had suddenly collapsed then the sensation of being buried deep in the ground bodies wriggling and heaving on top of him his nose chin eyes deep in earth some huge leg with a gigantic boot at the end of it hovering like a wild animal just above his head and then the whistle and the sudden clearing of the ground away from him his impulse to move and his discovery that his right leg hurt like a piercing sword he tried to rise and could not he was quite alone now the sky and the wind the field and the distant hills encircling him with nobody else in the world the game stopped people came back to him they felt his leg and it hurt desperately but not he knew at once so desperately that he never would be able to use it again they rubbed his calf and jerked his knee he heard someone say only a kick no bones broken and he set his teeth and stumbled to his feet and stood for a moment feeling exquisite pain then like an old man of ninety tottering along at this there was universal applause from behind the ropes there were cries of well stopped stocky good old stocky and he would not have exchanged that moment for all the prizes in the bookshop or all the tuck shops in europe are you all right his captain shouted across to him he nodded his head because he certainly would have burst into tears if he had spoken and he was biting his lower lip until his teeth seemed to go through to his gums but in that marvellous fashion that all footballers know his leg became with every movement easier and although there was a dull grinding pain there he found he could move about quite easily and soon was in the thick of it once more he was only a limper to the end of that game but he did one or two things quite nicely and had the happiness of seeing the school score another two tries which put the issue of the game beyond doubt at the end after cheers had been given and returned the pain in his leg reasserted itself once more and he could only limp very feebly off the field but he had the delirious happiness of the captain who was going to rugby next year and was therefore very nearly a man putting his hand on his shoulder and saying that was a plucky game of yours cole hope your leg isn't bad oh it isn't bad at all thank you he said very politely i almost don't feel it which was a terrific lie he had done well he knew that from the comments on every side of him the crowd had forgotten his earlier failure which if he had only known it should have taught him that word of wisdom invaluable to artists and sportsmen alike don't be discouraged by a bad beginning it's the last five minutes that count finally there was riley you didn't play badly he said you were better than millet four later he was sitting with riley squashed into a corner of mags eating doughnuts the crowd in there was terrific and the atmosphere like a slab of chocolate riley and he were pressed close together with boys on every side of them the noise was deafening it was the last ten minutes before mags's closed 
it was saturday evening and every one had pocket money the two boys did not speak to one another jeremy's leg was hurting him horribly but he was as happy as five kings and a policeman which was one of uncle samuel's ridiculous meaningless phrases his arm was round riley's neck more for support than for sentiment but he did like riley and he did like mags he was perhaps at that moment as completely alive as he was ever to be he was so small that he was almost entirely hidden but somebody caught sight of his hair which would never lie down flat and cried across the room three cheers for stocky the football hero the cheers were hearty if a little absent-minded the main business of the moment being food and not football jeremy of course was pleased and in his pleasure overbalanced from the edge of the table where he was sitting slipped forward and disappeared from men his leg hurt him too much and he was too comfortable on the floor and too generally sleepy to bother to get up again so he stayed there his arm round riley's leg swallowing his last doughnut as slowly as possible feeling that he would like to give doughnuts in general to all the world yes it had been a fine day a splendid day and there would be days and days and days mags's was closing he limped to his feet and with their arms round one another's necks riley and he vanished into the dark end of chapter twelve end of jeremy and hamlet a chronicle of certain incidents in the lives of a boy a dog and a country town by hugh walpole